this was really in response to finding a way, a, a relatively simple solution for national editors who might think that they don't know anyone on the ground in rural Kansas. We've talked about this problem before. National news outlets parachuting journalists into big stories they know nothing about. Now those same news outlets have a resource that will help them find local journalists already on the ground and ready to cover that big story. I'm Michael O'Connell. You're listening to It's All Journalism. Sarah Baird is a Kentucky native, a New Orleans resident, and a freelance journalist. She's also one of the founders of Shoe Leather, a database aimed at hooking up local journalists with national news organizations who may need expertise in covering stories where those reporters live. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you here as well. And uh, you're a New Orleans resident, but I guess you're in Kentucky right now. Yeah, getting yeah. Everybody, everybody properly placed in, uh, so everybody knows where everybody is. So to start off with, give me the elevator pitch. What is Shoe Leather and how does it work? Sure. Shoe Leather is a national database of writers from non-media hub cities, which we're defining as New York, Los Angeles, D.C., and San Francisco, who are local, knowledgeable, and ready to tell their community stories. So the database serves as a resource for publications and assigning editors and everyone in between to connect with writers in the towns and states that they're interested in covering instead of relying on parachute journalism. Okay, so why did you think that there was a need for this database? I've been a freelance journalist for a long time, but I've always lived and worked outside of those kind of media hub cities. However, 90% of my editors have always lived in those cities. And anyone who's worked in, in sort of outside of these centers would tell you that parachute journalism is something that is is a big problem and pretty rampant and and really revved up after the 2016 election. So this was really in response to finding a way, a relatively simple solution for national editors who might think that they don't know anyone on the ground in rural Kansas. With Shoe Leather, they, they can't really say that anymore because, you know, there are 10 journalists from the town they're looking for right there and ready to work. Yeah. And, you know, parachute journalism is something we have talked about on occasion on the podcast. I remember when we had Baynard Woods in from the Baltimore City Paper talking about the Baltimore uprisings and how he and his team covered it compared to all of these national news outlets that dropped people in there and were, you know, talking only to the police and were, were shooting from afar and were, didn't really understand the, the larger story that, that was going on there. You know, the, he and his team, because they were local, because they had spoken to all the different sides, they kind of understood, you know, the scope of the depth of it. So, from your perspective, what is it that these you know local journalists, what can they provide that somebody parachuting, quote unquote, from other markets aren't going to be able to provide? I think the example you gave is a, is, is perfect, perfect <laughs> illustration of that. Yeah. I mean, if you're a local journalist, you are invested in your community, right? You're invested in all the different angles and, and in terms of writing a story about anything, whether it's a feature on a local foodways issue or it's breaking news or anything really in between, you're going to be able to provide a ton of context and history and backstory and really a level of concern about where you're from that somebody who's parachuting in just has, you know, the lineup of people that they know they have to talk to and then is leaving, the quality and, and well-roundedness of the story is not going to be comparable. Tell me about your database now. How many people do you have in the database? And well, how can people who, you know, who listen to this podcast, we have a lot of journalists who, who listen to it. How could they sign up for it? 
Yeah, so we're we're not even a month old yet officially, but we have almost a thousand journalists from all fifty states who have signed up, which is pretty exciting. Last week we added in U.S. territories because a lot of people, especially from Puerto Rico, were asking that territories be added in. So that's exciting. So to sign up for it, it's fairly simple and kind of alarmingly simple in some ways. It's a free service. And if you are a journalist from outside one of the four cities that I enlisted, you just go on and you fill out a form where you put in, you know, your primary city and your primary state, your secondary city and secondary state. If you have kind of two places you divide time between, which is fairly common these days, you put in your primary and secondary beats. So if you cover the environment as your primary beat and education as your secondary beat, you can put those in. Identifications, LGBT, if you're a person of color, you can put that in, a person living with a disability. And all that goes into a form, you submit it, someone on the shoe leather team reviews and makes sure that you are in fact a journalist and not a robot, or that you don't actually live in Brooklyn, which has happened more often than you would imagine, people signing up from Brooklyn still. <laughs> then once you're approved, you have your profile on the site and editors can search by those various identifying things. So if they're looking for somebody in West Texas, they can search for journalists in West Texas. If they're looking specifically for someone who writes about agriculture in West Texas, they can search West Texas and agriculture. So it's a, it's a pretty simple system and, um, and one that so far has seemed to be incredibly well received and something that's very needed. So it's almost like a, you know, for lack of a better word, like a dating service for for editors and, and reporters, freelancers. Um, it is, it, it, yeah. It sort of makes that bridge. So sort of continuing that on that metaphor, is there something that the the reporters can do to sort of expand their, you know, profile? Is there an ability to maybe to link to web pages they have? So how does that connection work? It really it's a matchmaking service without a middleman. So editors and writers can connect directly via, you know, websites and social media. Everyone has the ability to list all their social media platforms, all their website information and portfolios. And then editors can figure out which writer might be the best fit and then contact them via one of those methods. Okay, cool. So it's really down to the reporter and the uh, the media outlet kind of negotiating whatever the, the assignment's going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's free. So that's something that's incredibly important, I think, from my perspective is to make sure that, that you know, there's nothing kind of behind a paywall, because not only is it an exercise in ensuring that national editors can get in touch with local writers in an easy sort of seamless fashion, it really is a, you know, a visibility sort of thing, right? Because there continues to be this erroneous assumption that there aren't a ton of writers in rural places, and there actually are. So if you can just go in and, you know, search for, you know, people in any state and any in any area you're looking for and find that there there's not only one but dozens of people in that place. It it really breaks down some stereotypes. Yeah, and I like that I like the aspect of it. It's you know, the the news outlets in these big cities, they don't they don't know the, what's going on in the local community. They don't know the the journalism landscape. There's really kind of only so much you can can sort of garner from just sort of Googling an area and looking for reporters. I mean, at least this gives you sort of a platform where people can identify reporters on the ground who are open for assignments and may have an expertise and connections in that community. So I like that a lot. So tell me about, you know, we usually ask our guests their journalist journey. So how did you get involved in journalism? 
it kind of is a strange journey. I originally worked in politics a long time ago, actually worked for the governor of Kentucky over a decade ago, not the current not the current one. I'll just put it that way. Politics to journalism. You're trying to make the climb up the ladder to respectability. Oh, sure. The next rung, rung up from a politician is a journalist. So um, anyway, <laughs> go on. Yeah. So uh, then, you know, decided that politics definitely wasn't for me, that journalism was kind of how I was wired in a, <laughs> in a better way. So I've been everything from a restaurant critic, food editor in New Orleans to covering wild wars in rural Japan to cattle wrestling in Texas. So I've <laughs> I kind of run the gamut on stories and really with a focus on anything that's in a, in a rural area. That's something that's been very important to me to kind of tell those stories, specifically after 2016, where I'm from in eastern Kentucky. So, so you know, why was it important for you to write these rural stories? I mean, I could sort of fill in the blanks when you say 2016, but what are the types of stories you think need to be told in those communities? Not only in Appalachia, which ended up kind of becoming a, you know, synonymous with Trump country, which is bad in its own right. But, um, you know, there really, there was a lot of interest after 2016, right? That people had not wanted to hear these stories. And I know as a, as a freelancer that, you know, you would pitch a story about somewhere in, in the middle part of the country and editors would be like, eh, but, but really, do you want to do that story? You know, but after 2016, there was this huge swell in interest. The kind of response to that wasn't what it should have been and what hopefully Shoe Leather's hoping, hoping to fill in, which is you're asking local writers about the local issues on the ground there. Instead, it was editors parachuting people in to write these stories that kind of already had a very narrow focus and they already had an idea of what they were writing about and then leaving, which did a lot more harm than good and upset communities. You know, people are still feeling the, the aftershocks of that every single day and it's still happening. So really, in you know, my interest in writing about rural places comes from just having grown up in a place that's been constantly stereotyped for the past 60 years. So I think that that definitely was a, was a driving force personally and professionally also behind shoe leather. You know, a lot of people have their different ideas about how to improve journalism or even, you know, how to improve their careers as journalists. So, you know, out of the blue, you decided to launch, I'm assuming it's out of the blue, <laughs> shoe leather. What was it that sort of inspired you to do that? I mean, it's it's a good idea. I mean, it takes a little something to have, oh, yeah, that'd be a good idea if somebody did that, to saying, that's a good idea. I think I should do that. Sure. Yeah. It, it's definitely something that at the beginning, I was like, I can't believe no one's done this. And I think that was kind of one of the kickstarting moments because, you know, it just seems like such a no brainer, right? If you are a national editor, you're going to get a much better story. You're going to be helping out the local, you know, writer's economy. You're going to be able to really just just have a better overall experience if you use a local reporter who's embedded in the community and knows what's going on rather than parachuting someone in. So it was a little shocking to me that there weren't already larger systems in place for helping make those connections. And, you know, after after thinking on it for a while and then there was a a specific sort of turning point when I was doing a story about, of all things, Appalachian independent wrestling, so a wrestling circuit in eastern <laughs> in eastern Kentucky, and they had had uh, you know gotten a little bit of national attention because there was a, a heel, as they call them in wrestling, a bad guy, a villain, who had who they were calling the progressive liberal, and you know he he, he wore. <laughs> 
Hillary Clinton t-shirts, you know, and he did all that. And the guy who wrestled against him, you know, wore a make wrestling great against shirt. But when I was talking to him about this, he was like, you know, the, you know, all these people came down here and there was one specific news company who came down and he was like, you know, I explained to them that the progressive liberal wasn't that we don't like Democrats. We don't like liberals. You know, the county, Perry County hazard that I'm from is three quarters Democrat and always has been, you know, it's about people coming to these areas and turning up their nose at us and looking down at us and thinking that they're better than us. And that's more of what that character on the wrestling circuit represented. And, you know, I spent 12 hours one day with this news company that came to town, showing them all around, taking time out of my day. And when the, when the story actually finally went up, the only thing that they included from me is that I said that I didn't like coal. So I spent 12 hours with them. And, you know, the only thing that came of it is that, you know, they used a clip of me saying that I didn't think coal was good. And, you know, and he said, it kind of made me look like a jackass. So I, um, so that was kind of like a, you know, if there had to be one turning point, I was like, you know, that, that doesn't need to happen again. People don't need to feel as if they're being misrepresented. And that just continues the spiral of people not trusting the media. And, you know, shoe leather kind of was an answer to one small step towards making that, uh, not a reality anymore, hopefully. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful story. This idea that, yeah, I mean, this this whole problem of of uh, of parachuting in in in, in journalists is, you know, it's something that, you know, in the larger conversation about trust in media, people don't always think about. You know, they they see their national news correspondent, you know, in New Orleans after a storm, or you know, you know, on the West Coast, you know, because of a fire, but yet, because they're not embedded in the community, they're they're not. There, there's a lot of context to whatever the particular story is. You know, you just described one where there's context to that one wrestler that somebody coming in from the outside is not going to get. Um, you know, do you th- do you think there's a willingness in, in, enough willingness in newsrooms? You know, in these large newsrooms to to try to seek out those types of story that give you that context, or they just want to s- just get whatever the story. Is. I, I would hope so. I, I mean, I do, I do is. think so. And, and, you know, for, for a lot, if, if for no other reason that I know, you know, newsroom budgets are shrinking even on a national level. And, you know, there is, there is something that even is more cost effective to go with a local reporter who knows the community, who is going to get that better story than spending the money to parachute someone in that, you know, you might not have the budget anymore. So it is, you know, that is also something that's working, I think, to fuel this a little bit and it's a negative turned into a positive. So have you had, you know, any feedback about uh, successful hookups from uh, journalists using shoe leather? Yeah, we're going to start um, a newsletter documenting those in January, the specific ones. So I won't go into that right now, but that one, it's been very interesting to see kind of how, when you make a tool, how it's used in ways that you didn't originally anticipate. So that's something that's been really exciting. And one of those ways generally has been, you know, I kind of thought about it as just a national to local sort of connection. But a lot of regional, larger regional papers in places like Houston and Atlanta and and cities like that have been able to use shoe leather to connect with people in smaller communities around the metro area. So even on a regional level, instead of parachuting in a reporter from the big city, 
quote unquote, to write about, you know, somebody in a smaller town, they're actually able to reach out to someone in that smaller town to write the story or make the connection to, you know, kind of combating that even on a regional level, which is great. So it's it's not just the big cities that are benefiting from it. It's it's the the regional papers, the you know the the you know, looking for uh, you know sort of context and, and expertise in that in that smaller town within their coverage yeah, area, which has been really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's your you know what's your take? I mean, I mean, let me let me read you this this one quote from the New York Times story about your about shoe leather. A recent study by the University of North Carolina's School of Media and Journalism found that almost 1,800 papers in the United States have closed or have merged with other papers since 2004. And of the 3,143 counties in the United States, half currently have only one newspaper, often a weekly. We've been talking a lot about, you know, this your service sort of helping – um, you know, these big, big papers, these big news towns sort of get context and, and improve their coverage of r- rural community. Why don't you tell me about what's going on in the rural community in, in the regarding journalism around, um, you know, the journalism landscape, journalists being out of jobs, papers closing down. What does what this kind of meaning means to the local news economy? A big piece of this, and this is hopefully something we're going to tackle as part of the next phase of shoe leather as we go forward in 2019, is the fact that there really aren't these sort of communities of journalists in rural areas, right? You know, that's something that um, I think you take, you know, it's easy to take for granted in a big city that your social networks, your professional networks, you know, you can't reach out an arm without bumping into another journalist or a friend of a friend or having those kind of community resources that really, you know, help sustain journalism at all levels, because those just don't exist anymore in rural areas, right? And especially, you know, when you're looking at news deserts, but even outside of news deserts, they're really, uh, journalists, you know, don't have the kind of same sort of support and connections and just natural infrastructure that they do in cities. And it's a shame, but that's something that we're really hoping to also combat as Shoe Other goes from just being kind of a a database and a platform into an overall resource center for journalists working in rural communities or communities outside of these major media hubs. So um, one of the first things we're going to try to tackle with that is a toolkit for journalists working in areas that don't have reliable internet, such as the mountains of East Kentucky, East Tennessee, and how, you know, how you can continue to make it work as a journalist and share resources when you don't have a reliable internet connection or your cell phone cuts out half the time or, you know, things like that that you really just don't think about if you're in the middle of Manhattan or you're in L.A. and that's just not even remotely a reality. So definitely a, definitely a next step for shoe leather is, is the community process. Yeah. You know, everything you read about trust in media, people tend to trust the media that's closer to them that they identify with, the local news, the local newspaper. And so, you know, where you have these, you know, counties where there's there's no local news, there are no journalists that they know who are covering stories. I mean, just because those papers aren't there doesn't mean that these stories aren't occurring. And people know that. But, you know, there's obviously a lot of frustration and with with not having their stories being told or even accurately reflected. I guess it's a plus that we have something like shoe leather that allows you know, these, these big stories that are occurring in small markets, getting some attention, but, you know, there's still a lot of challenges. Now, you're also a freelance journalist. And one of the things that, you know, with a lot of these, these papers going out of business is putting a lot of journalists out 
of jobs, and many turned to freelance journalism. And there are many people who, who their career, whole careers, built around freelance journalism. What what is that experience like right now? Just being a freelancer or trying to be a freelancer, and <laughs> yeah, just being a freelancer. <laughs> you know, I think if if you watch, if you follow the media cycle every single week, it seemed like for the past three months that it's just been, you know, one publication folding or laying off everyone after another. I mean, and that's in that's in larger cities, of course, but that's been happening all over the country for the past, you know, five to ten years on a pretty regular basis. So while, you know, in some ways it, it you know, everyone kind of moving towards this more freelance model is, is you know, there are more opportunities to work with different people in different places. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very hard on local communities because, like you were saying, you know, people do trust their local paper because they're the people that go to the same grocery stores they do. You know, their kids play on the same soccer team. So that kind of familiarity in terms of, recognizing that they're a person who's invested in a community as well breeds breeds a level of trust that, you know, somebody parachuting in just will never, never quite get from a national scale or even from a regional scale, from a from a bigger city paper. So the hope with helping to develop sort of community toolkits and resources with shoe leather is that it will be a be a way that freelance journalists or journalists in smaller towns can even, you know, try to find ways to form alternative media networks or figure out how to kind of fill those voids in their local communities as well, as well as connecting to, you know, editors on a national level. So that's kind of sort of a phase two we're hopefully moving into. So shoe leather right now, you know, for journalists to, to use it, for, for news outlets to use it, it's, it's a free service. It, you know, do you have any... Uh, plans uh, for developing any sure, funding we're, for we're this? definitely going through all the all the hoops right now of of becoming a nonprofit, which is you know which takes a little bit of time, but we've we've had a ton of support. I mean, it's it's really been great the the kind of outpouring of support from all across the country for a service and, a, and something like this has has been great. So ideally, we will we will be all set to go on that by the middle part of the next year, and and we'll be able to roll out some of these. Um, other other services and you know workshops and things of that nature. Okay, um, Sarah, uh, I think what you you developed here is something. I mean, like I think you kind of <laughs> said it. It's like why has nobody thought of this before? It, it's a great resource. It's a positive resource. It's it's you know it's helping it's helping you know rural journalists. It's helping large outlets report the news in a better way. I think uh, this is a smart idea and, and it's time is long to do. Sarah, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. It's 2019. Don't you think it's time to sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast delivered straight to you in a weekly email. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to produce an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Amelia Brest helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.